0: Oh, if people could see my wife when she does her little dance. Oh my. Hello, Date Night family. You already know this has become our favorite part of the week.
1: It really has. And
0: this was all just an idea, and now we truly look forward to it.
1: Yeah, it's like couples counseling for us. And you should <laughs> yeah, see Tony all week making sure I add my notes to our little Google Drive and then... He comes over early mm-hmm. and helps Ethan set up our little studio. I, it's, it's pretty cute.
0: I do. I wouldn't call it cute, but I'm into it. <laughs> and you're always late. So you buzz in with like 10 seconds to spare. You're like that A-lister. No. Yeah, you do. You roll no. up in your limo and do your lines and then I the paparazzi so. chases you out the door. <laughs> you You do so. Thanks for taking time out of your life to hang with us little guys. All right. Oh so my. to say that we love, absolutely love, love doing the pod <laughs> is an understatement. And we hope everyone in the Date Night family is walking in the joy of the Lord this week. Uh, we did want to say another quick thank you to everyone who sent in questions this past week. We are going to get to a few of those here in just a second.
1: Yes. And for all the questions and reviews, we absolutely love we hearing do. from
0: you. We love. Do we say it love enough? I think uh-huh. we did. It really is One more fun. Time. All right. Well, hey, let's roll it, Ethan. Know, but how dare you? okay well we're jumping right into the mailbag here and we're gonna take it quick today because we have a superhero interview in just a Safe bit hero uh, okay well i'm gonna go with superhero she's <laughs> she's that special <laughs> <laughs> mailbag time let's go ahead and cue the jeopardy music we're gonna go ahead and get that q a going everyone this last week sent such incredible questions so we're gonna move fast and try to see how many we can cover
1: awesome so, the first one is from B Family Adventures. Hashtag
0: B Family Adventures. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Maddie, age five. And it says, Mom, can you please ask Pastor Tony why I don't read my Bible at church?
0: <laughs> okay, Maddie, I love that. Thank you for your question. The reason you don't read your Bible at church. Well, I'm guessing because you're age five, it's partly because you haven't learned to read the Bible yet. Um, but very soon you will. And you're going to find, I promise, that God's word is super special. The Bible tells us about God's son named Jesus and how he came to earth so you could know God and spend eternity with God. So the big thing right now is to make sure mom and dad are reading the Bible to you. So ask them tonight, go find them and say, mom and dad, will you read the Bible to me? And I know that they'll want to do that.
1: Mm, so here's a good one from hashtag with love Jillian, Jill, is it Lancor? I think so. She says, should wives ask for date nights or allow their husband to plan and lead?
0: That is such a good question, Jill. I'm gonna answer for the brothers first, and then sweetie, you can jump in on the lady side. So, ladies, plug your ears on, on this one or promise not to elbow him with this. That's <laughs> always the hard part when you know if you're both listening. Um, I understand, brothers, that you're at work and you're serving at the church and you're raising your kids, but let me try to keep it real. Your wife has a love tank. And if you make regular fill-ups, her engine will run for a long time, and it'll bless you in more ways than one, but if the tank runs empty, it can be hard to jumpstart, and I'm going to talk about this just briefly from a human level. Obviously, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and as our lives are immersed in Christ, we're going to grow closer to one another on a spiritual level, but just practically speaking, she she does have at least on an emotional level, a love tank, and that, that can start to feel empty. So... For example, that's one of the reasons the world depends so much on Valentine's Day or anniversaries because the tank runs empty all year long and then everyone tries to fill it up in one day. Um, But 10 years ago, uh, I learned a secret from John Wooden, the old UCLA basketball coach, where he said he wrote a love letter to his wife monthly on their anniversary. And he joked he never had to celebrate an actual anniversary because he wrote her a letter every single month. And I just want to say that works. On the 25th of every month, Brie gets her note, so fill the tank more often and you'll be uh, amazed at, at how she runs.
1: I'm so thankful for you. Oh. But are you trying to get out of anniversary? Y-
0: yeah, I don't have to <laughs> buy you anything. I Every month I give you your note. It's true, yeah. it works.
1: But, um, okay, so.
0: I didn't even long- answer the question though, technically. Well, then go for it. I us. gave the philosophical reality that like, yeah, she needs you to be pouring into her. All that to say, yeah, you, you, you want to take it on yourself, uh, monthly, weekly, Uh, to be providing an opportunity for your wife uh, to be emotionally filled, to be spiritually led. And so that's definitely something that the man should be taking on.
1: And from the woman's side, definitely let Hubby lead, but do everything in your power Especially in the beginning to remove blockades Blockades meaning all the little details That make it hard to go out And his blockades will be different than Yours, like the old book, Spaghetti and Waffles Mm. Women are like noodles where Our thoughts and relationships all intertwine. But men tend to be like waffles Where they compartment and toolbox Things individually, so take care Of all the things that would slow Him, like picking a night where he's least stressed from work or scheduling mom to babysit or setting aside a little money and texting an emoji heart to suggest a little surprise when he gets Ooh, home. Ooh, a surprise. Oh, dear. Yes.
0: <laughs> we know you love talking about surprises. I think um, that, that, that if we had to put all that in a nutshell, Jill, it would just be, yeah, definitely you want him to be taking the lead on that. But if there's anything you can do uh, to try to make it easier on him, you know, do it. Well, let's keep cranking. Caitlin, age 22, ER nurse in Baltimore, asks, quote, my boyfriend and I are getting married next year, and I'd like to know how to prepare for marriage and glorify God in this season of waiting.
1: I love this question. First, I'd say receive good premarital counseling from a solid Bible teaching church. Second, I'd say read the book Tying the Knot by Rob Green as a couple, and then answer all of the discussions. Discussion questions on roles, communication, finances, kids, and so much more. But the most important thing is to memorize scripture about being a godly wife. Psalm 119.11 says that when we hide God's word in our heart, it helps us to not sin against God. So having Proverbs 31, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, or Titus 2 in your heart to help is the absolute best thing you can do.
0: You mentioned Proverbs 31. You did that in our first year. I did. You would memorized that. Yes, yep. it was, yeah. All right, last question. And we're going to go ahead and leave this one anonymous. Um, she says, for obvious reasons, she says, I struggle with anger. I'm like a bomb. And when I fight with my husband, it just explodes. Any tips? Mm.
1: Sister, I could say I could relate first and foremost. When Tony and I first got married, I could explode. like Explode. 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 <laughs> and let me just direct you to a great book.
0: Let me just bring people into this story. So like a lot of times... People may not know wh- where we've came from, right? Mm-hmm. So when we first got married, we 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 had times where I mean, you remember when like we would be at odds, and you would be in the closet, yes. sitting on your pile of clothes. Yes, you remember that? Yes. And then we'd we'd have we would sobbing. have sobbing, like mm-hmm. literally in the walk-in closet, and there's a pile of clothes, and you're just sitting in there with the door shut. <laughs> Probably because
1: I haven't done my duties as a wife and put our clothes away. Well, in two weeks. there's yeah,
0: we, we we didn't do laundry either. But <laughs> But I think also it just goes to show like how, how broken the cycle can be, mm-hmm. where I'm not loving you and serving you and sacrificial to you, and then you know, you're know you not respecting and, and submitting to leadership. And before we know it, it's just broken. Yes. Just absolutely broken. So uh, all, all that to say to this sister, we get it. We have been there.
1: Yes, definitely. And I would say a great book by Robert Jones called Uprooting Anger. And here's four steps I work through. Uh, First is studying the word. I need to say what God says about my anger uh, because we all find ways to justify our anger by saying things like, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Or, but anger is an active response, meaning it's not something I have, it's something I do, and I need to be honest with myself when sinning. Second is confessing my sin. Sometimes I'll toss out an apology but never really come to grips with how evil I've been or even try to blame Tony or the kids. But real confession is truly acknowledging what I've done and asking others to forgive. Third, commit to a new way. I try hard to memorize verses about what God wants from me in the future. What Bible verses can I memorize to reframe my thinking? Or where can I go to cool off before responding? Um, Another question is, what new habits can I insert into my daily routine? I love this one. And then lastly, change. It sounds obvious, but I've found often I know what God wants, but I don't live it out. I'll talk a lot about the what, but not ask people to hold me accountable for the how. It can even be helpful to ask your spouse, family, or even church group to hold you accountable.
0: That's so good. I remember... You mentioned the third part there, commit to a new way. And you said you're memorizing verses. There's an offensive part to it. Mm-hmm. And then you said go off to a cool-off you know, cool place. And I remember you got your cool-off place, and then you taught Peyton this. Our daughter is is the restroom. Mm-hmm. So when you start to feel that come out, you've basically trained yourself to go to a place, get away, pray, mm-hmm. come back to the scriptures before you re-engage the conversation and that's been huge yes. and now that's pouring down into Peyton and so I just want to say how much I, I respect you and love you and the way you're training our home great answer well that actually is a perfect transition because we're about to hang out with a woman who really knows the word mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll be honest I was a bit tongue-tied for this interview it's been a long time since I felt nervous in, in casual conversation
1: that Susan has been such a role model and lived such an exemplary life That there's just a respect
0: like Mm, no other. Well said. And I think our date night family is going to be equally touched as Susan Heck was a pastor's wife for 46 years, has published multiple books, speaks to women literally across the country, and get this, she has memorized the entire New Testament.
1: And is working on the old, right? (laughs) So without
0: further ado, yes, let's spend time with this woman of God.
1: Here she is now.
0: Now we get to welcome the very special Mrs. Susan Heck to the podcast.
2: Yes, this is such an honor.
0: Hello, Mrs. Susan. How are you? I'm doing
2: great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it is such an honor to have you. And when Brie says it's an honor and I say it, it's an honor, we really mean that. A couple of weeks ago, we posted your picture on Instagram and so many people lit up. So you've quite a fan base.
2: Yikes. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, for the date night family, this is going to be a lot of fun. So let's do some introductions, and I'll have you do it, sweetie, because you had the chance to meet Mrs. Susan last summer, right? I
1: did, yes, absolutely. Yes, Susan, we had the chance to meet at the conference this last summer, and you blessed us so much. I had already heard about you from Aaron Coates, so for Peyton and I, it was like meeting a hero of the faith. We are so excited.
0: Hero of the faith. (laughs)
2: That's pretty, that's humbling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Susan Heck, do you happen to know, you wouldn't know this because you wouldn't have listened to Date Night before, but we have little buttons that we use sometimes. I'll give you an example. Like, I don't know, do we have the R.C. Sproul or the Steve Lawson ones? We don't have those. Okay. Um, Let's see, what other one? We have Jeopardy. So if there's any (laughs) questions that need to be answered, those are here for you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, We have... um, Let's see. What else do we have? We have a doorbell. So when you arrived, we played the doorbell. And we have love songs sometimes that we play. So some, if I get insensitive, Bree will give me a dirty look. You and then a love song will play. So died. If any of those pop up, that's where they're coming from. Okay. I think a little bit of the resume would be super helpful to share with everyone. You are an ACBC certified counselor. You have yes. published multiple books. And I I don't even know all of them. I know there's a lot of the epistles that you've done. I know James' Sermon on the Mount, I believe. Um, And they are, I believe, they almost read as commentaries, The Way of the Master. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then this one needs a drum roll. So, Ethan, do we have the drum roll? This one's important. Ready? You also, oh, we don't have a drum roll. We can do our own. You ready? Should we hit the table? There you go. That's a good one. You have memorized the entire New Testament. Mm
2: -mm.
1: Yep. That's true. Can you share a little bit more about this, Susan? Just even tips on how to memorize or how to retain.
2: Well, um, when I met my husband, he had most of the New Testament memorized. And so he encouraged me to uh, begin that process. And so he shared with me his method when I was 18. And I memorized the epistle to the Colossians in hopes that he would ask me to marry him. And it worked. So, um, <laughs> Then, how far into
0: Colossians did you need to get before the ring was imminent?
2: Uh, pretty, I don't know, not very far. (laughs) Um, anyway, then, um, I didn't become a genuine believer till about 30, even though I thought I was a Christian. So at 30, I picked up that habit again, and so I finished the New Testament about Probably about four years ago, and so I'm working my way through the Old Testament now. So, really, it was due to his encouragement, and I just saw the benefit of it uh, as I began to memorize God's Word, and I thoroughly have enjoyed it. It's my, I think it's my favorite spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. So, meditating on God's Word is just such a joy. So, I'm kind of addicted mm-hmm. in a good way.
0: So, wow, what a beautiful thing to be to be addicted to, and yes. You have a testimony, and you, you referred to this um, just a moment ago, that many others, I think, will sympathize with, especially with the way evangelicalism has went and people being brought up with confessions of faith that may not be a possession of faith. Are you willing to kind of take us back into those early years? What part of the country did you grow up in? And then I believe your dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. I grew up in Oklahoma. My dad was a minister, uh, Graduated actually from Moody Bible Institute back when that was a good school to go to to learn the Bible. And so he was a great expositor of scripture, um, but believed more in a decisional regeneration. Uh, So at five, I got saved and baptized because I didn't want to go to hell. And at 13, I got saved and baptized because I'd been to a youth camp and had gotten emotionally charged over a message I heard. And then at 18, I was in a car accident that should have taken my life. The highway patrol, uh, I was driving and the car rolled several times in a ravine. I ended up upside down in the back seat. And if I'd had my seatbelt on, um, the highway patrol said I would have been killed. Uh, I had just taken the seatbelt off, providentially don't know why. And so that was God sparing me at the age of 18. And so I got saved and baptized again. Uh, went off to Moody where I met my husband, Phil Johnson was his roommate and introduced us. And, um, Phil went to my dad's church and, uh, my dad had baptized Phil Johnson. And so he said, my pastor's daughter is getting ready to come. And I want you to missionary date her because she tends to get in with the wrong crowd. <laughs> so anyway, that's how I met Doug. And, uh, So the night before the wedding, he almost called the wedding off. He began to see things in my life that were questionable to him. I had a terrible temper, uh, just things that he was beginning to wonder. But anyway, we went ahead and got married. And so for the first 10 years of our marriage, it was a a struggle because of me, not him. He was a very patient husband. Um, And so at the age of 30, God inflicted me with... um, severe pain. I ended up in isolation in a hospital for a few weeks and six more weeks at home. And through that process, uh, no cell phones in those days. And so I was alone and I had to really start looking at myself and begin to realize that uh, I really never saw myself as a sinner. I was living a life of hypocrisy. I was living one way at home and another way at church. And I since then have often of Charles Spurgeon who said what you are at home is what you are Mm. and what I was at home was not what I was at church and so honestly for the first time I saw myself as a sinner I even though I'd walked an aisle and prayed a prayer and been baptized three times I had never seen Susan Joy Heck as a sinner in need of a savior and so I I remember mourning and weeping over my sin which I'd never done before and I had to go of course to my husband and and ask for forgiveness and many others and that's when my life changed and I had to call my parents and tell them I was going to be baptized for, for the fourth and final time wow. and uh, my mom said that she wasn't surprised she said I've seen the change in you so um, so that is such a goodness of the Lord and I I do do know that that is when my heart changed and the things that I used to do because I had to started becoming a delight mm-hmm. and The things that I used to love, I now hate. And so there's definitely a change uh, when one gives their life up to the lordship of Christ, no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. So I'm very thankful. I have a heart for women who are brought up in the church but don't know Christ. (laughs) And so that's kind of the the short of it. (laughs) And are you willing
0: to take us back a little bit if I probe just for a moment there when you mentioned I heard a little bit of an accent. So is that Oklahoma? Is it Oklahoma that you're from? Probably, yes. Okay. I'm
2: from Oklahoma, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could hear
0: a little bit of that. So you guys, you're in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Your daddy's a pastor. And what was that like when you did go back to, to mom and dad? Because some of us have had those conversations, and they, I know personally can be a little bit uncomfortable when you shared with them, hey, I think I'm I'm truly regenerate now. Um, I think that my other baptisms were not uh, we're not, you done post-conversion. How did that conversation go?
2: It went very well. My dad said, actually, I was surprised. He said, honey, the same thing happened to me. And then my mom said, I'm not surprised. I've seen the change in you. So it actually went far better than I expected. <laughs> so, sure. Um, anyway, wow. and yeah, so it went well. There wasn't any tension or they were just very happy. For me, and life went on. Now they're both gone, but yeah, so it was—it went well. It and went what well. was
0: that like in the marriage with Doug? When well, you you meet around Colossians, <laughs> Colossians one one, he married you right away. Now you come back, you're regenerate, you're transformed, you're being sanctified. You said you were partly or or most of the problem in those early years. What happened in the marriage? Is it okay if we if we pry a little bit?
2: Sure, I'm an open book, so yes um i began to realize i needed to put off anger and so that was something i began to work on learning how to talk to him learning how to open dialogue instead of shut it down uh, learning how to speak to him in a respectful gracious way so i had to learn that that was very that helped my marriage a lot along with learning to come under his authority i was not a very submissive wife and so i began to Uh, realized that that was God's will for my life. Uh, Even though I had a good role model in my mother, I just wasn't going to have anyone tell me what to do. So I began to come under his submission and saw that as so freeing and liberating and a joy to have his headship. That's one thing I miss now that he's gone. It's been a year uh, last week since he passed and uh, I miss that protection. I miss his headship. I miss his wisdom and um, I I think that's so valuable. Women don't realize what a blessing that is to have a husband. Um, And so it changed our marriage completely. And we started, uh, my husband planted three different churches. And um, so to shepherd together was such a joy and to uh, be in the ministry with him and help him shepherd the flock, shepherd the women. So we began, our relationship really began to bind together together. Uh, very closely, we became good friends, you know, best friends, just sharing life. So it was great.
0: And you have two children, seven I do. grandchildren. And you were baptized alongside, for, for the fourth time, you were baptized for the you know, the first time, technically, alongside your daughter. Is that correct?
2: Yes, I was. She had just made a profession of faith mm-hmm. in Christ. So we were baptized together. Wow! And, uh, yeah. So she's now a pastor's wife too. So wow.
0: <laughs> that's beautiful.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: Would you share a little bit, Susan, about the pastor's wife's part? You know, what was maybe the hardest part
2: or the best part? The hard, the hardest part for me personally was a lot of times feeling very lonely mm-hmm. in not having uh, somebody besides my husband to pour, uh, my, you know, my burdens into, but in God's kindness, about thirty years ago, he gave me two mentors who are still living. One's soon to be ninety; the other one's eighty. So they, these women, have both been discipling me for thirty years. Wow. And so I would say loneliness was the hardest because everybody wanted to wanted me to be their friend, and but nobody wanted to be mine. So mm-hmm. so to speak, if you could say that. And so um, I've always had a burden for pastors' wives. I know the heartache. I know the the difficulty of seeing your husband uh, criticized unfairly, those types of things. So um, that was probably the hardest. Um, and what was your other question? What was the biggest blessing? Yeah, best part. Oh, I the best part was being a pastor's wife. Mm. I loved it. I absolutely miss it a mm. lot. Um, but I'm still pouring in to other pastor's wives. I'm discipling several pastor's wives right now. Also getting ready to host the first Shepherd's Wives Conference next year, along with uh, Martha Peace, Erin Coates will be one of the speakers, and Lisa Hughes and Naphtali Pillage. And so I'm looking forward and hoping this can be an annual thing. Uh, even though I'm no longer a pastor's wife, I can now try to help other pastor's wives to see the joy of that role. It's such a privilege. Mm-hmm. And, and I do miss it a lot. But I'm content where I am right now. So. And I'm shepherds, adjust, I'm in Justin Peters'
0: office, so that's you pretty- are. You are, <laughs> yes. Your label says Kathy Peters below your, your face. Um, just in case anyone does ever see the the video or the picture, this is not Kathy Peters, this is no. Susan Heck. No. Yes, let's clarify. Um, and then the shepherd's wives, just to make sure we kind of put that out there, that's at I believe is it Gary Gillies Church? It's it's Southern View, Southern View Chapel, is that right? Yes, okay, yes. that's coming up. What's the date on that?
2: Uh, March 24th and 25th, 2023, Lord okay. willing. So, yeah. Wow,
0: how exciting. I think that's a good spot to make a turn. So you mentioned Doug, you mentioned being a pastor's wife. Are you willing to take us into that story a little bit? Because obviously God's still writing the powerful story and the legacy of, of both Doug and yourself. You guys were married for 46 years and you've often called him not just your husband, you just mentioned it earlier, but your pastor as well. Can you tell us a little bit about Doug and then also, as you referenced earlier, kind of what happened during COVID and how the Lord took him? Sure.
2: Um, Doug was a very unusual man. When I met him, he had the most of the New Testament memorized. In fact, this year I'm reading through both of his Bibles and reading his notes. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a profound thinker. As Phil Johnson said at his funeral, Doug could go anywhere in Scripture from his head and theologically as well. He, he spent 16, 20 hours a day reading, uh, reading the Bible. He would try to read the Bible through three times a month. Um, he would read theology. He would read all kinds of books. He was just very, he was a very learned man, but he was a very humble man. He never thought him to be much of anything. And, but he was a faithful pastor. He loved his people. His people loved him, and I—I I would say he led our churches with love and humility. Uh, he never lorded things over people. He didn't micromanage people. Um, he was just—he was a great father, great grandpa. His seven grandchildren are pretty much all teenagers now. They miss him terribly. Um, but he was—he was really a great shepherd, and I think he was a master teacher and. Uh, I learned so much from his preaching and uh, miss that, too, a lot. Um, I still listen, get online, listen to his sermons. (laughs) Oh, um, sure. It's beautiful. So anyway, um, so he was a great man. He just was a student of the Word, but he wasn't so at home that we didn't. We went to kids' birthday parties and, you know, people's you know, things like that, soccer games, football games. He was a well-rounded man. So he wasn't one that just isolated himself in his office and never never got with people we had people in our home all the time almost daily our home was a revolving door and i miss that too because i really haven't cooked much since she's been gone Mm -hmm. but but i used to cook a lot and we'd have people in our home a lot for dinner and just discipleship we discipled couples and things like that so um anyway that's the kind of man he was and um, i loved it he never micromanage me either. He trusted me to run my days for the kingdom. And so I appreciated that. And we, I would say we were partners in ministry, you know, uh, companions for the purpose of glorifying God. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. I I really did. Uh, Regarding his, his death, my sister actually had just passed away. She didn't know she was full of cancer and I had just seen her and three weeks later, she died. <clears throat> so we were at her funeral and didn't know that one of our extended family members had COVID. And so Doug talked to him pretty much the whole time at lunch and everything. And five days later, Doug got COVID. <clears throat> and um, I'm assuming, we're assuming that he got it at my sister's funeral. And so um, he, we had talked about him getting COVID. He was diabetic. He'd had a stroke four years ago and so I said, honey, if you get COVID, you know, you probably won't make it. And he said, I know that. And um, I said, okay, well, then when he got it, he got weaker and weaker every day at home to the point that five days into his COVID at home, he fell and I couldn't pick him up and I had to have someone come. And then the amb- I called his doctor, who's an elder in our church, and he encouraged me to call an ambulance because the way he was acting, I thought maybe something else was wrong and uh, they said at the hospital he was septic. And so um, he got better the next day. Uh, they wouldn't allow me to be with him because of the restrictions. So my son, who's a pastor, drove up from his church. He lives in Kansas, and, and he stayed with me the whole 10 days um, while Doug was in the hospital. But <clears throat> we weren't allowed to see him. We FaceTimed him a few times, but as he got worse, went on a oxygen, then a pack, and then the ventilator. And Once that happened... I told my son, Charles, I said, I just, I don't want to see your dad like that. It's too much, <laughs> too much. So um, anyway, then October, I mean, August 17th was when I got the call that um, he'd had a heart attack and passed away. So my son and I went up to the hospital and um, he was actually still pretty warm. I thought it was odd. They wouldn't let me come while he was alive, but <laughs> they mm-hmm. let me come after he passed. So and we went up to the hospital and um, uh, you know, so I got to see him then and I, I don't know if he heard me, but he was still warm. So I, you know, just told him how much I loved him. And Anyway, so it was, it was challenging. Um, I'm very comforted in the fact that one of the men in my church told me that he was kind of glad Doug died alone. And I said, why? And he said, well, I remember one of his sermons in first John. And he said, when it comes time for me to die, I don't want anyone around my bed because I want to make sure I'm ready to step into eternity. And so I was comforted in that, but as a wife, um, as you can well understand, a spouse, you want to be with them in their last days, but that's not what God ordained. And I love that song. "Whatever our God ordains is right. And, uh, in fact, I have a little locket made out of that. Somebody sent to me after Doug died. And um, so I trust in God's sovereignty. Um, I, it's not how I would have chosen to lose him, but I trust God's providence in my life. And he's been very kind to me since Doug has passed. And I know I know for a fact he takes care of the widows. <laughs> so I, <clears throat> that's I heard encouraging a story, to me. I
0: heard a story about that. Mm-hmm. And so I, in no way I want to be sensitive, and I don't mean to pry, but it, it was a very powerful story. And I think it was Bree that related it to me where, you had had a moment where you were kind of in a, in a rightfully so you're mourning your husband, and it's kind of hard to get up and get going again. And was it a friend? Was it Deb or somebody that said her mentor, her mentor, probably one of the 90 year olds who said, Hey, and and, and quote me if I'm wrong, or, or correct me if I'm wrong. But she said, you know, stop focusing on what you've lost and focus on what you still have. Is that, can you tell us that story?
2: Yes, I uh, was having, I, I really was pretty, I'm, I don't cry much, I'm not a crier, but I was having a rough day on one Sunday at church, and it was hard to get used to coming to church without my husband, it was hard to not see him get up in the pulpit and preach, and one particular Sunday I was very. I was pretty, pretty upset, and I went into the ladies' bathroom, and I was emotional, which the ladies probably have never seen me cry, so they didn't know what to do. <laughs> So I came back out and I sat in the back with that my mentor who's going to be 90. Her name's Carolyn. And she kind of patted me on the leg and she's basically, you know, like you need to buck up. But she, she said, you've got to stop thinking about what you've lost and you've got, you have to stop thinking, start thinking about what you have now. Mm-hmm. So after that, I, I purposely every day started writing things every morning in my prayer journal about things I was thankful for instead of looking at what you know what I still felt I needed and so that has helped me a lot and I've continued to do that it's a year later now and I'm still writing things every day that I'm thankful for that God is doing and it does help me to remain focused on his kindness to me so Mm, those are such powerful words
1: since you've told me they've resonated at least once a week in my (laughs) mind in, in different times and now being a wife um, and widow of the word, how
2: has the word sustained you? Oh my, it's been such a joy. I, I'm so thankful that God uh, has allowed me to memorize so much of his word. And so it floods my mind, you know, continually. And um, even when I reviewed the different books of the Bible, I've memorized this morning, I was reviewing first Peter and Ecclesiastes and uh, Genesis one to fourteen. We're in chapter fifteen now, but just um, just is such a comfort and a and a joy and a delight. And so I, I I can't I don't know what people would do about it without it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's good for us to be afflicted in that way that drives us not only to the word but to our knees. And I, I can honestly say too, it's not just the word that has been my comfort in my affliction. But it's been prayer i i was telling kathy uh since god since the lord took doug home i think i pray more now than i ever have because i don't have him for guidance for wisdom i don't have my husband but i have the lord and he is enough mm-hmm. and but it's you know so my prayer life has changed a lot too <laughs> and so i'm thankful for that i think about anna praying in the temple night and day as a widow and what a ministry she had there. So,
0: yeah. Amen. And she was able to see the salvation of the Lord. How would you encourage young wives? They're listening and they're hearing your story and you're an example for them of, of incredible faithfulness. How would you encourage them when they're back at the beginning of the journey?
2: I would encourage them to be patient I would encourage them to learn, to practice being content um, and to regardless of their circumstances or the difficult people in their life to learn contentment, let the circumstances of life teach them to be content, teach them something valuable, um, to be patient, to wait on the Lord, uh, to trust him, to know that things are not going to be done in their timing, but his timing and they, they need to put their hope and trust in God. I would also encourage them to find someone to disciple them. I think that's God's design for, for all of us, but especially specifically for women. And I think it's imperative that every young woman have someone older and wiser to help her, to instruct her, to pray for her, to guide her. She can speak truth in ways that a husband cannot. And so... Uh, It's not that a husband can't reach, but sometimes it's difficult. So I think God's design is really good in the sense that an older woman can come alongside and and help in some areas that maybe no one else can because she's gone through the crucibles of life and she's got something to pass on, hopefully, wisdom. And so I would encourage her to do that as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Would there be a special word that you would give to an insider council to pastors' wives, Susan?
2: Yes, um, boy, lots. How much time do we? Have?
0: <laughs> we have all the. It's it's it's. You're Susan Heck, so our no, time is your time. Away. Yeah.
2: So for pastors' wives, I would encourage them to be a cur- encouragement first of all to their husbands and a support to their husbands. Uh, pray for their husbands. I one of my mentors said to me one time, who's praying for your husband? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, you should be. And I said, oh yeah, I guess I should. So (laughs) uh, I made it a habit to pray for my husband every day after that. Um, And so praying for him, letting him know, being there, rearranging your schedule for him. Um, I always tried to make sure that I was available when I knew Doug needed me and would cancel appointments in order to be there for him. So that was my priority. So I would say that's most important as a pastor's wife. Uh, secondly, I would say to her, don't take criticism too, uh, too heavily. Take it for what it is. It's You will receive a lot of criticism as uh, in the pastorate. Your husband will be criticized. Your children will be criticized. You're going to be criticized. Many times it's unfairly, but take it to the lord he was criticized too he was hated he was misunderstood and uh don't, don't let that ruffle your feathers don't become bitter at people uh take care of offenses quickly if you have something in your heart against someone in your in your in your congregation take care of it quickly i pulled many people aside in the lobby of the church say hey if i offended you you seem a little strange lately instead of assuming things uh, in my heart and so I would say take care of offenses very quickly so that a little leaven doesn't leaven the whole lump in your church. Um, And then I would say, you know, that expect loneliness. I I think that is a common problem for a lot of pastors' wives. But again, find a mentor. And if you can, find a pastor's wife, another pastor's wife that might be able to encourage and help you uh, support. That's what we're hoping to accomplish at this pastor's wives conference, is maybe to group some pastor's wives together and similar areas geographically where they can connect and network together and maybe be an encouragement to each other, uh, in the work of the ministry. So there's a lot of things I would tell pastors, wives, read, uh, uh one with the shepherd by Mary Somerville. That would be excellent. Read the art of divine contentment by Thomas Watson. Those would be a couple things I would definitely recommend for pastors, wives. Awesome.
0: <clears throat> so, so pray, rearrange your schedule, <laughs> Have thick skin, but retain a soft heart. Uh, expect loneliness. Read one with the shepherd and then basically all the Puritans. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. Susan Hex. <Hicks. laughs> that's that's kind of what you're telling right. everyone to do. I love hey, it. Justin's, that's good.
2: Justin's got one on his desk right now. The, yeah,
0: so a Puritan that doesn't desk, surprise yeah. me. I'd imagine so. <laughs> I love that. Justin is such a great man. God has used him so mightily. That's neat. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, sometimes, and we're going to give you complete right away on this. You can give us a big hearty no if you don't want to do it. Sometimes we close these out by doing a little bullet round okay, and we I basically like just throw out an idea, a word, and then you just have to give us your immediate response, what comes to mind and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so we get Uh-oh. to learn a little bit about you. No pressure. <laughs> <Yikes>. <laughs> you want to take a shot? oh sure i love it oh thanks for being a good sport okay <laughs> well jeopardy music is going to play and then we're going to hit the bullet round on this and then Bree, do you want to go first with sure. the questions all right so get ready miss susan it's about time
1: here is number one oklahoma
2: where the wind comes sweeping down the plane
0: <laughs> all right number two the is is that like an old saying is there something so to that? That's oh, that's a song. Oh, the musical. Which one? The musical from Oklahoma. Oklahoma? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I figured it's from <laughs> You should watch
2: it. It's great. Wasn't
0: from Phantom of the Opera. No, wrong no. one. Okay. Got it. Number two, ready? Airplanes.
2: Don't like flying these days because of all the cancellation and delays.
0: <laughs> I figured you wouldn't have a you wouldn't have a soft spot for airplanes.
2: Number three, cats. I'm highly allergic to them.
0: Yes. So you join my team. I'm team anti cat and mm-hmm. most there are many people who are for cats, but
2: my husband was a member of the Flat Cat Club.
0: Okay. That means he runs he them over in like, Oklahoma. He didn't like them either. I can't tell you how many times I've swerved at a cat. My kids are like, No. I can't wait to meet Doug. All right. Number four. You ready? yep deb
2: uh my timothy mm.
0: i remember Bree told me about deb and i think brie teared up when she told me about deb and just the way that she i think she travels with you is that true mm-hmm. everywhere yes uh-huh. beautiful
2: as for 25 years yep
1: wow mm-hmm. here's our last one susan
2: doug One of the most humble, godly men I've ever met.
0: I'm going to add one more. We've never done this before. This Uh is a super special bonus round. But I I just wanted to hear your answer on this. Christ.
2: He's my all in all.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, Susan, you'd mentioned you don't get a chance to cook often anymore. And so I'd (laughs) like to invite you to California to come cook for us anytime you want. (laughs) Yeah, we would great. love that. I love to cook. And um, thank you so much for taking time out of your world travels for us. And uh, we said it at the beginning, the you know, the only word that comes to mind for Brie and I is it's an honor. You are a woman of the word, a light for countless others, a blessing to Brie and in turn our family. And so thank you.
2: Yes, we are so, so thankful for you, Susan. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy to to do this. Thank you.
0: Well, Lord willing, we'll get to do it again.
2: Mm-hmm. All right.
0: All right. God bless. Thank you. Well, all right. It is time for our drive home segment. Let me go ahead and get your door, my love. Thank it takes you. takes the old man some time to get around the other side. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm not going to get that door. Well, I knew this would be a special one, but that went even beyond my expectations.
1: Yeah, I was honestly a bit nervous. I'm not typically starstruck, but.
0: You, you mean you're not starstruck? What do you That's mean? why you're so quiet. You, you, starstruck. You remember when the Shaq playoff game, when he came down the tunnel and you gave him a high five and you were oh, like, come you, you you're like, He touched my hand. Great
1: conversion <laughs> days. That's not fair. Seriously, I'm just humbled when I speak to Susan because the Lord has used her in such special ways and His word flows from her heart as a woman, a mom, and as a pastor's wife. She provides a champion for all of us women to I couldn't follow.
0: agree more. So what would you say out of all of that? What was the big takeaway for today?
1: so many things. First, just the power of the word. My mind races over Psalm 119. I'm preserved according to thy word. I have my hope in the word, my portion in the word, just on and on. And that's what I love about Susan. When she speaks, the scripture bubbles mm, up from yep. inside and also is her confidence. I sense a real fear of God and she doesn't mince her words or speak in trivial matters. And obviously her respect for Doug, even now after after he's gone. She honors him and she speaks so highly of him. Uh, what about you? Yep. The you same, thoughts?
0: the same. You mentioned Doug. I think she mentioned that Doug, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was in the Bible 14 to 16 hours a day mm-hmm. by the end of his life and reading the Bible multiple times in a year. Yet he was still a family man and hospitable to guests. And that just floors me. Mm-hmm. It humbles me to think of a man who, who got up early, stayed up late, not wasting time with TV and gaming and social media, but just immersing himself in the word. Um, the other night I was reading Martin's biography on Jonathan Edwards, and that was the type of schedule he kept. His home was a beehive, uh, you know, because Sarah was running it, but he was adamant about 12 to 14 hours a day in the word. Wow. And I actually think I'd call that the summary of this entire podcast. Um, This episode is Becoming Men and Women of the Word. Susan's a woman of the Word. She mentors young wives to be in the Word. Her husband was a man of the Word. I mean, our big takeaways are a greater love for the Word. And even those mailbag questions were mostly answered by spending time with God In his word.
1: Amen. And Susan has some incredible resources for people who want to dive in deeper. I've personally been blessed by her study in the book of James, but she also has books on prayer, heaven, even the assurance of salvation. And if you want to check out more, her website is www.withthemaster.org.
0: Withthemaster.org. And we're going to have to cue a drum roll here. I have breaking news for you and for everyone else. If you've not heard it before, this is breaking news. Mm -hmm. Cue the drum roll. Susan is going to be actually here in May at Mission Bible Church. Yep. For our women's conference. Yep. May, I believe it's 13th. So if you're in Orange County, mark the calendar. I thought I told you that already. No. I'm so
1: excited. Big round
0: of applause for Miss Susan Heck coming all the way to California (laughs) (laughs) to hang with us. Californians, we need a little bit more Susan Heck. Yes, we do. Well, hey, we are out of time. So for all of our date night family, we hope this has blessed you. We hope you'll tag us into a few date night picks this week. Most importantly, let's commit our homes to being in the word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we need you. Please send greater grace. Help us husbands to lead as servants. Help these wives to respectfully follow. Help us to raise our children in your admonition. And please, just like we talked about today, grow our families in and under the word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. And a big thank you to Miss Susan Heck, Ethan, our producer, the For the Gospel team, and everyone at Mission Bible. And to our date night fam, we'll hang again in two weeks. So message us anytime, leave a review, and most of all, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the fam.